We are in the book of Lamentations. This is week number, feels like 32, doesn't it? One of my friends I met with this past week said, right when I got to, to like sit down with him and getting something to drink and hanging out together for a few minutes and we're, we're close, and he goes, uh, when are we going to stop talking about Lamentations? And I said, well, look, we got like two more weeks. And then it's Easter. So uh, we could use a lot of help for Easter. Brent's already announced that. And, and let us know how you can serve and help. Thank you for doing that. Lamentations has been important for me. I don't know about all of you, but I do know quite a few of you have responded in many ways. Even this morning, uh, I got a text from someone who's not here that has recently, you know, within the past year, like many of you, uh, has suffered great loss. And uh, how hard it is to enter into to this topic and how much of a struggle it can be for them. Even last week, you know, they're here again, but Larry and the family just freshly, you know, you lost somebody days earlier. And how hard that is. And so I really applaud all of you, even if there's times when you can't make it, that you enter, in, enter into it. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit, even more. And uh, we'll get to hear from Renee in just a moment, David. I wanted part of this series to be us reflecting on what God is doing. I hope every week you feel like we've left you with hope as well. We do at Journey by taking communion together at every service. I told you before, it's like a little mini Easter. But at the same time, we want to we wanna give voice to the, the reality of life and where we're at. We want to engage in it. And I want to do that because it's always been a very hard thing to do. I mean, who wants to enter into the darkness, right? We want to run away. And we know that Jesus lights up the darkness, but it's still there. It's part of life. We must engage in it. I'm very proud of you for doing that and being here. And thank you. And today we will, we will talk about it again, and next week we will wrap it up. Some of you are like, thank God. But I really encourage you to be here, and we'll talk next week more about justice. How do we as a community of people look at what's happening around the world? How do we engage with that? Some of the things that don't immediately you know, affect us in some way. So, in giving a voice to it, uh, one of the things we said each, each week is there's sin in us that we must deal with. Lamentations is a reflection of the people of Israel sinning repeatedly. God's faithfulness, yes, in it. His covenant is important. We need to know those things. But it has to do with the sin in them that they needed to repent and confess of. And some of you may be dealing with that today. You have a God that forgives. He loves you. It's his covenant with you. But we must repent, confess the sin, give voice to even that in us. We also said that there is the sin um, that's done to us. That some things are not, quote, your fault. Someone did it to you. Many of you suffer because of what happened in the past, because someone did something to you, and it has just in some way damaged you, destroyed you, hurt you. Apart from God's redemptive work, we can deal and have struggle with great suffering in that, can't we? An abusive spouse or, or parent or job, I mean, just to name just a small little part. We want to be able to give voice to that and, and deal with it. And then there's sin around us. We'll talk even more about that next week. But there's just sin in our neighborhoods, our valleys, our homes that we want God to, to change and do something different about. Last week in it all, we said these beautiful words out of um, Lamentations 3, right? It's where every pastor always wants to jump to. Leave one, two skip four, five, and most of three, and let's just hit the little pretty part, right? When I say that kind of jokingly, but that is exactly what God does not want us to do. We do not want to leave him out of all of life. 
So we want to see how he's faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful, when we're hurting and suffering, and when you're struggling, or when you have doubt or worry or fear, whatever it may be. So one of the things that I've encouraged some of you to do is express in some way. It could be painting. It could be journaling. It could be screaming out in the woods, you know, going and shooting your gun. I don't know what it is for you, you know, eating. That's probably not really a godly, I don't know. I think it is, but (laughs) express in very beautiful ways what God is birthing in you, even if it comes out at first painful struggle. David has done that. He sent me um, a song that he wrote out of last Sunday, and I asked if he would share it this morning, and uh, I'm glad that he's going to do that for us at this time. Thanks, David. I love you and appreciate you. I'll give you a hug, but you'd poke me with your guitar there, probably. (laughs) Turn to Lamentations 4. We're going to, in a moment, read through it. And I want to encourage us. I I know even it's played out in my small group, uh, which this season's wrapping up this coming week. Um, it's played out with a lot of you guys and gals um, on a weekly basis through this where we get to walk through these things together and it's very important that we do that that's what we're going to talk about today that to deal with sin and suffering in a healthy way we must all this is probably something that we could dive into a little further down the road too but I think we all need to learn to be caregivers, mentors, um, and there's many that have have called it, uh, Henry Nouwen comes to mind as one of them, wounded healers. And I think if we could do that for one another, um, we would find more healing in the church than just, you know, doing what we've expressed many times in here and saying that we're fine. 
in, in encouraging that, <clears throat> excuse me for my voice today, but I, we got to be willing to deal, we'll talk about this in a little bit too, but some of the messy parts of it, not always having the answers. But could you imagine if we as a community of people really had the heart to care for one another no matter what we're going through, not just the easy stuff, you know, when it's easy to walk through with joy, but really some of the hard, painful things long-term. It would be, you know, community transforming if we could really learn how to do that and embrace it. It does seem to be hard, and we are, in such lamentations, reflects on this, a broken state. Let me just kind of quickly run through Lamentations 4 with you and point out a few things um, on what's going on um, in the community then, but also I wonder as we read it and reflect upon it if we see some of that going on now. And I would make a case that we do even though we can't deep, delve too deep into it today. But number one, Lamentations, these first two verses kick off, and really this is seen throughout all of Lamentations, and especially in four, say that our value system is broken. So when I say these elements of life are broken, one of the things is our value system is broken. Lamentations 4, 1 and 2, here's the verses, say these types of things, how the gold has lost its luster, even the finest gold has become dull. The sacred gemstones lie scattered in the streets. See how the precious children of Jerusalem, worth their weight in fine gold, are now treated like pots of clay made by a common potter. And throughout Lamentations 4, you'll see this element as, as well, even more. But one of the things that happens is the whole value system that the people had was broken. One minute, the gold is most important, and the next minute, it's lost its luster. So often, even in church, I know for us, it's been something that we continually talk about, but and what we see in the Christian world today often is attractional ministry, celebrity money, power, striving for success, even in the church, and when sorrow, sin, sadness, brokenness comes, we find that it has failed us. I don't care how much money you get, eventually it's going to fail you. Has anyone found that money gets rid of pain? Not just pain like physically, but the deep, broken-hearted pain. Man, it can make you feel good for a moment, can it? To go out, like even some of us, it's a sign of that. We got a lot of money. I feel bad. What do I want to do? Well, even if I don't got a lot of money, if I just got a card, I want to go shop. For a moment, it feels good, doesn't it? To buy something new, that feeling. But we see that all of that cannot fix the problem. Our whole value system is broken. Success, power don't provide answers to the world's problems, nor do our human achievements, achievements, personal kingdoms really impress God. God's value system is there to transform lives. And so the value system is broken. In Lamentations, it just starts laying that out. You guys have looked to the wrong things. Maybe even today, one of the things for you to evaluate is your value system. What do you hold in high value? What's important to you? It's going to drive you to the decisions that you make, especially when something's hard, especially when we have loss, especially when we're mourning or suffering. The other thing that Lamentation shows us is that the community was and is broken. The whole family structure in Lamentations 4 here, they reflect upon it. It's broken down, and it is 
horrific. Some of the worst scripture to read is found right here. Lamentations 4, 3 through 11. The whole foundation is shattered. Lamentations 4, 3 through 11 say, even the jackals feed their young, but not my people Israel. Listen to this. They ignore their children's cries like ostriches in the desert who would at times abandon eggs. And there's a whole thing behind that that we don't have time for today. But they ignore their children's cries. The parched tongues of their little ones stick to the roofs of their mouths in thirst. The children cry for bread, but no one has any to give them. The people who once ate the richest foods now beg in the streets for anything they can get. Those who once wore the finest clothes now search the garbage dumps for food. The guilt of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was a horrible story if you know it, where utter disaster struck in a moment and no hand offered help. Our princes once glowed with health, brighter than snow, whiter than milk. Their faces were as ruddy as rubies, their appearance like fine jewels, but now their faces are blacker than soot. <clears throat> no one recognizes them in the streets. Their skin sticks to their bones. It is as dry and hard as wood. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. Starving they waste away for lack of food from the fields. Tender-hearted women have cooked their own children. They've eaten them to survive the siege. But now the anger of the Lord is satisfied. His fierce anger has been poured out. He started a fire in Jerusalem that burned the city to its foundations. Did you see some of that in there? Family structure is destroyed. Community has broken down. And that last little verse says... The foundations of everything are shattered. One of the things that happens if we don't reflect back on chapter three is we see the whole community is broken. We can look around right now and we see even the family structure alone has been devastated. Sin and suffering has visited the innocent. When we look at what's going on in the world today, within our communities, even in my own backyard, for example, my neighborhood, sin and suffering has impacted the innocent. Some of the little kids that run around our neighborhood are shattered by divorce and struggle, shattered by broken families. And it even says like tender-hearted moms have even abandoned that. Do you look around and see that the community is broken? But even deeper than that, the leadership is broken. Lamentations goes on in verses 12 through 16 that these people, the leaders, hey, I would be one of these leaders today. They should be helping the community through sin and suffering, but they gave false hope we saw in chapter two. They said what people wanted to hear, they didn't call out sin when it was sin, and they did not engage people in the hard things of life. Oh, you lost. I want you to just be happy. I want everyone to like me, so I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear. Or I'm not going to engage when you're going through mourning or loss because it's too hard for me. I don't know what to say or do, and I want everything to be fine. But that's not what we see happening in the world. I mean, we see that happening in the world. We don't see always people engaging properly, especially in the church. Lamentations 4, 12 through 16. Not a king in all the earth, no one in all the world would have believed that an enemy could march through the gates of Jerusalem, yet it happened because of the sins of her prophets, the leaders, and the sins of her priests, their leaders, who defiled the city by shedding innocent blood. They wandered blindly through the streets, so defiled by blood that no one dared touch them. Get away, the people shouted at them. You're defiled, don't touch us. So they fled to distant lands, wandered among foreign nations, but none would let them stay. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer helps them. People show no respect for the priests and no longer honor the leaders. 
The leadership was broken. It's not a great time for the nation of Israel. I mean, we, we can even apply that to today, huh? Do you look around our nation, even our communities, and go, man, we got such strong leadership. The world's going to change. This is awesome. No, it's created bitterness and anger. It's horrible. The church should be different. The way we engage with the lost, the hurting, the struggling, and the sin. But even deeper, these last set of verses tell us that the world is broken. Lamentations 4, 17 through 22. Others could not help them, and they looked to others for help. Not to God, to other nations. We looked in vain for our allies to come and save us, but we were looking to nations that could not help us. We couldn't go into the streets without danger to our lives. Our end was near. Our days were numbered. We were doomed. Our enemies were swifter than eagles in flight. If we fled to the mountains, they found us. If we hid in the wilderness, they were waiting for us there. Our king, the Lord's anointed, the very life of our nation was caught in their snares. There's the leadership again. They looked for other, to others for help other than God and God's people. And even in that, God's people weren't even being godly in it. We had thought that his shadow would protect us against any nation on earth. Are you rejoicing in the land of Uz, O people of Edom? But you too must drink from the cup of the Lord's anger. You too will be stripped naked in your drunkenness. O beautiful Jerusalem, your punishment, here's a little bit of hope in there. Your punishment will end. You will soon return from exile. But Edom, your punishment is just beginning. Soon your many sins will be exposed. Praise God for chapter four. But I look out, and you guys, I, I can see even some of the nodding heads. Come on, the world is broken apart from God. The leadership is broken apart from God. The communities are broken apart from God. The family is broken apart from God. Our value system, what we think is most important in the world's eyes, has let us down. Some of you are suffering because you thought that was going to work, was going to help, was going to fix it. And even in that, we are broken. Some of us in here are hurting, suffering, struggling. Maybe it's sin in you. Maybe it's something done to you, some loss that you've experienced, or maybe it's something going on around you, but in some way, you either have and or you are. And if you're in here and everything, like I said last week, is in a sweet spot right now, pray, man, I just rejoice with you, but we're none of us going to get away from suffering, are we? And around us, there are people who are suffering and hurting that we in turn are supposed to come alongside. So today, I want to wrap up talking about how do we do that. But first, Renee Adams is going to come and share her story. Some of you know who she is. Greg uh, was a friend of mine. And she's going to share what the past six months have been like. Um, in her life. For those of you that don't know, you'll get to hear a little bit of that. She's going to share kind of where she's at, what God is doing, and then uh, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to talk to you for a few few more minutes. So Renee, thank you. I'm very proud of you. I know this is a tough thing. These are scary people. Uh, <laughs> just look, right? So okay. do you want a stool? Did you get that on? Good. I think okay. I'm good right now. Can you All guys right. hear me okay? Well, thanks for allowing me the opportunity to come up here and share my story. We'll see if I can get through it without crying. <laughs> like Ron said, um, the last nine months for me has been um, just a journey. I uh, lost my husband. I lost my mother. And I lost my uncle. And my stepkids, um, the two kids from my husband's previous marriage, have uh, chosen to dis disown me. And... Uh, 
So not to say that my grief is any more difficult or worse than what you guys are going through, because I know that I know a lot of you guys out there and a lot of you guys are going through your own struggles of loss or jobs or pets or whatever that might look like. Um, a little bit of my history. I've always walked with the Lord. I don't know a time when I didn't know Jesus. My mother raised me in the church and um, really taught me a lot about faith and trust in the Lord. And I lived all my life and have lived, continued my life um, that way. Um, the Lord has blessed me. I have so many wonderful things that the Lord's done in my life. One of those things was 19 and a half years ago. My husband and I married on this very stage. <laughs> It was amazing, the best day of my life. Um, however, um, in uh, July, when my husband turned 52, it was on his birthday actually, his doctor called him and told him that he had uh, non-smoker's lung cancer. And so about three weeks later, um, we uh, learned from his oncologist that he was terminal and that he had two to 10 months to live I learned later that it was closer to two <laughs> than 10. Um, fortunately, praise God, his treatments worked um, and his body really responded. So he lived a lot longer than what they thought. But that really is when I started my lamenting and my mourning was when we found out that he was terminal and that my best friend, the husband of my child, excuse me, the father of my child, <laughs> my coworker, we worked together my world really, he was my, my person that I was gonna have to at some point <clears throat> find out how to live life without him and find meaning in that life is the challenge that I struggle with more now. <laughs> Shortly after my husband was diagnosed terminal, my mother was diagnosed terminal. She had congestive heart failure and unfortunately, um, they both passed within 22 hours of each other at the end of May. So at one point, my mother had had a stroke and went into the hospital. It was about five days before my husband passed. And so my husband started, his um, health started going uh, downhill very quickly towards the end. Uh, the last couple of days were very fast. <laughs> so I was put in the position where I had to choose between being with my mother on her bedside while she was stroking and continued to stroke in the hospital or to care for my husband during his last hours. So I chose to be with my husband. Um, that for me was the right choice, but it was a difficult choice to make at the time. I was not able to be there when my mom passed, which is what the Lord had, and I'm good with that. <laughs> um, give me a minute, sorry. Michael just recently passed, which has kind of opened up the feelings and the emotions of the morning. But um, the darkness that you feel, and I'm sure many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, the darkness and the pain of loss of people that you care about is just insane. Um, I actually asked my doctor if he could die from a broken heart because I truly feel it or felt at certain times that I literally was going to die because I could feel my heart ripping inside of my body. It's just a, how this world experience. Um, like I said, I've always been close to the Lord and um, have spoken to him, talked to him. Probably if you've ever seen me in my car, I'm usually talking to the Lord, not singing or talking to anyone else. <laughs> um, but I really found that after my husband and my mom had passed that, um, well, just go back a little bit. Um, after my husband passed, uh, my two stepkids chose to disown me and didn't, decided they didn't want to have a relationship with me, which was yet another pretty big loss to have, like consecutively after the, the, the passings. Regardless, after that happened, um, I really felt like the Lord was asking me to trust him. And I, I felt like it was so difficult to trust him because he just turned my life upside down. He took what I felt like was my whole world. Like, I don't have a husband. My mother's not there to comfort me with the loss of my husband. My husband's not there to comfort me with the loss of my mother. My kids don't want to be around me or have a relationship with me. I have my son, who's my husband and I's 
child together and his heart was broken. He was suffering and struggling with the loss of his father. And um, what I realized was that I didn't want to disappoint the Lord by telling him that I didn't trust him and that I could not see how this is good for me. Like, I know and I believe what the word of God says, which is all things work out for good and that he has a purpose and that he has good things in mind for me. And yet, I don't understand how this is good. How is this good? I, I'm by myself. I don't have a mother. I don't have a husband. I... I don't have a coworker now. I don't, uh, you know, my son, my son, he turned 18. He's going to graduate in June. Yay. He's going to go in the military in September. So I'm going to be completely alone with no family. How in the world, Lord, is this good? But I did finally have the opportunity and come to the place where I could tell him that and really pour out my heart and just say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't understand how this is good. And instead of getting the condemnation and disappointing God, which is what I thought I was going to find when I went there, <laughs> he actually wept with me. And he has met me in that place to realize that I don't see it. I don't. Even today, standing here talking to you guys, I do not see what his plan is and how this could be good. But I know his word is true. And that is where my hope is, is that he will make it turn out to be good. And that one day I will thank him for everything that I've gone through. Sharing about my experience with the Lord and where he met me and how he does, he weeps with me and he counts my tears. I know that for sure. What I would encourage you guys is that something that I've learned through my brokenness and through my mourning and that is that before I went through all of this when I would hear about someone going through something difficult I would have a hard time understanding what they were talking about or what that loss would feel like and so I I found it difficult to enter into that with them to take a minute to to feel what it would have felt like to be in their moment but now that I've gone through this, well, and typically in that situation, I would encourage them. I would give them a scripture. You know, I'd remind them of the truth that they would know or that I would know, that I would want them to, to remember and to encourage them. And really, I wanted to fix it and, like, take away their pain. But what I've realized going through my journey is that the only way to go through the mourning and the lamenting and the pain is to literally go through it all the way through it, to feel it, to allow Lord, the Lord to speak to us through it. Um, and that means not fixing it for others either. So for me now, when I hear of somebody's loss or struggle, I don't encourage them right away. I enter in with them and feel what it would feel like to, to lose your job or to lose your animal or to lose your health, your mobility, your job, so many different things that I know are affecting all of us in here. And then encourage, cry with them, maybe not even say anything to encourage them right up front, but just to be in that moment with them where it's not all right and it's broken and it hurts and it's hard and you don't know whether it's going to be okay. I mean, you do know, but you don't know <laughs> in that moment whether it's going to be okay or not. But just to meet them there and then encourage them. The encouragement is important, but it's also important to just be in that moment. So thank you. Yeah, you don't know... <clears throat> Should I clap or not? Or what do you do, right? It's, it's another one of those awkward things that we struggle with. And it's good. I'm very proud of you. It's one of those things where you want to get up here now and I want to get like two chairs and say, well, let's just fix you right now, Renee, as a community of people. That's not what we're here to do. Part of this whole thing is practicing what we're learning together. I'm very proud of her. And uh, I'm thankful for you, too, that we are on this journey with you.
um, and we will walk through it with you. So I'm going to pray because she represents others out there that are going through same, same types of things, even if it's not to that scale. It may be something that you want to, co- remember we talked about this, that suddenly you want to compare, well, mine's not bad as Renee. I didn't lose, it was husband and literally within 22 hours lost mom. Um, and so I want to say though that whatever you're dealing, it's your reality right now. And praise God for a great God who is faithful to us in it as well. Even if we don't quote feel it, we believe something bigger than that. Renee has shared really a couple of the points that we talked about last week. That was we need to know the faithfulness of who God is, how he feels about us, and we need to know the story of God, that there's something bigger to the reality. You know, the, the reality of right now is not the reality of eternity. So there's something bigger going on as well. And so, Father, thank you for Renee. She represents other folks out here that are walking through right now, have walked through will walk through God. And so as we strive to build a community of caregivers, mentors, wounded healers, God, people redeemed by the goodness of Jesus Christ, the grace of you, God, um, I pray, Lord, that you will do a healing work, give rest and comfort and peace. And I love the truth, Lord, of even still the tension and struggle that's still there, God, knowing who you are, believing and knowing that you are here, and yet giving a voice for the hurt and suffering that's still going on. God, we we can do both, and you are in it all. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Lamentations 4 teaches us, as we are learning, too, as a community of people, that there is brokenness around us. We must engage it. It's not going anywhere. You can look on the news and still see it, right? So if it's suffering laws right here in this room, we can look on the news and see another person was shot here, another person that happened there in this country, in that country, in our own backyard. We know that it can happen at any moment, and it can be shocking and painful. But as a Christian community, as leaders, as caregivers, as the mentors and wounded healers, we need to offer peace in the midst of chaos. It is important that we learn how to offer that to people, the true peace that God says passes all understanding. We need to give help to pain and suffering, people in sin who are hurting. We need to give a voice and brought this word up. It's a word that I've constantly gone back to from Walter Brueggemann who talked about the Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. One of the things that we do as a Christian community of people, not just Journey, but the Christian community as a whole around the world, you should be able to travel around the world and as followers of Christ, I could enter into your home, you know, like if, when I go to Israel, and I could be a wounded healer for them. I have friends there that have lost people to terrorism. We should be able to do that as Christians, right? We have a common thing going on here. We have a family connection in our joy and in our suffering. So we want to help reorient people back to God, reorient disoriented people back to who he is, what he does, and how he feels about us, that he loves you. Even if at some moment Renee goes, I am just lacking trust. God loves you even in that. He's not abandoned you. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26 is part of something bigger where it talks about the body. But it's a great reminder that if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. I love that verse. I love the whole chapter, but that verse is beautiful because it reminds us that we are all in this together, but we are known sometimes for abandoning one another. We need to not do that. Even in sin, this was an interesting week for me because I, I deal with friends that are suffering and struggle. You know, text even this morning of someone who's just feeling alone, lost her husband this year, friend of mine. She goes, I can't be there, Ron can't come this morning. This stuff's too close to home. It's hurting me too much. And I'm like, it's okay. 
We're still here. We're, st we're not going anywhere. We're going to walk through it with you. So you got this deep suffering. And then I had to deal with sin. I don't like it. It's probably even one of the worst. That a young man, he made a mistake. There's consequences to it. And I have to let him know, if I truly believe this, that I will not abandon you in that either. Things are going to change. You're going to have to deal with, here, this is the sadness of sin. There's suffering. We go through it as Christians. But when you add sin and suffering from sin in you, it's a double, it's just super painful. Praise God for his redemptive work. That we sit here today, sin and suffering. I'd even say Satan thought he had us. I ruined their life. It's over. But not for Jesus, man. Jesus comes in and gives us, us hope. Redemption. One part of your life may have to change, but your whole life does not have to end. Praise God for that. And so we need to learn how to do this even better. There's so many scriptures that speak of this. How do we do this? Let me just take you through a few things before we take some communion together and head out and go practice this. <clears throat> how do we do this together? Number one, let me tell you that we need to acknowledge these are pretty simple things that you could put into practice out there, but I think very important for us to remember. One, acknowledge sin and suffering. We can't hide it. One of the problems we saw in verse 3 was that they ignored their children's cries. Anything with sin and suffering, hard things, I tend to want to ignore. I don't want to address it head on. I don't want to get involved in it. I don't, want, I don't like the messiness of it. it. It talked about the ostriches abandoning their eggs. It even made me think it's not the scripture there, but you know the saying, even though it's just a myth, it's not true that ostriches do this, but what's the little saying that they do? They stick their head in the sand, right? That's kind of how sometimes we operate with sin and suffering. I just, I don't want to deal with it plop, stick our head in a hole so we can ignore it. Because if we ignore it, it goes away, right? I wouldn't write that down as a point. <laughs> Acknowledge sin and suffering. Another word would be confession. Confession works for sin and suffering. Part of that is, is lamenting. I like it. I like Renee standing up here. I like David singing that song. I like when you guys do that stuff. You know what you're doing? You're acknowledging, you're confessing. This is, this is where I'm at. This is what I've done. But as followers of Christ, this is who he is. I like that. We have to acknowledge that. We can't put our head in the sand. Two, we need to offer help. Not to fix it. I think that's an important thing for us. Verse 6 said, The guilt of my people is greater than that of Sodom, where utter disaster struck in a moment. And what did it say? No hand offered help. The people of God did not come to help the people of God. We have to engage in it. It may, probably shouldn't even say may, it will get messy. You may not have all the answers or know what to say. Sometimes do you feel like when somebody's going through something, you're supposed to have the exact words to say? Or do you just want to get them out of that dark place? I just need to tell you something happy. So you know why I think we do that sometimes? You know why I think I do it sometimes? <laughs> it's because it's not about trying to make you happy. I mean, I want that. But you know what? I want to be happy. I don't like feeling it. You know how awkward it is even to sit here? I don't know about what it's like you watching, but sitting here listening to Renee, because you just want to make her happy. Just be happy, Renee. And that's not how this works, is it? We've got to engage in that, so we need to offer help. And here's where I want to encourage us. This is a tough one that I don't know how it always looks like, but we, we have to offer long-term help. 
for all of you in here that have lost someone. Christian community, we got this. We are great at bringing food. Are we not? It's like one of our strengths, right? It ain't in the Bible anywhere. Doggone it, somewhere in there we made it a thing. We are awesome at casseroles that you can put in a freezer and heat up later on. And we don't do it like there's two people. Why are you making it for like 30 people, right? And every day you're bringing something. Now, it's not that we shouldn't do those kind of things. But what happens when we all just got to get back to work just do our thing. We're not good. I'm not always good at long term. Six months from now, a year from now, sometimes that suffering is lingering or there's consequences to think. Nobody's bringing food anymore. Phone calls stop popping in. We don't know what to say. It's a lot of it, I think. I don't know what to say to you. I feel like I got to act like it never happened. And I wonder if there's a better way for us to offer long-term help. I know there is, and we don't have time to talk about it all now, but we need to offer help. What does that look like real quickly to offer some help? One is we need to show empathy. We need to learn how to understand and share the feelings of another. Jeremiah does this in Lamentations. You know that Jeremiah, he's the prophet, we think, that wrote Lamentations. He's the guy that was, the one dude that was standing up for God. He was not the guy that should be guilty for all this. But it's interesting, he writes a lot of Lamentations, we believe. He, he suddenly puts voice to what everybody's thinking and feeling. Maybe you connected with David's song today, or Renee's voicing her, her heart. And Jeremiah puts a voice to that. I like that. He shows empathy with his people. What would this look like today in connection with a community of people? We'll talk next week about maybe more national or bigger type sin or suffering. But often an individual can put words to what the community or individuals within the community are feeling and cannot. So maybe some of you have experienced that already today. We need to learn to empathize with people. Romans 12, 15, 16, this is in the message. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Can I free some of you up? Like Larry's here again today, and his family. In the past weeks, I've, I kind of go by his moment, but we've laughed and cried. There are times when it's okay to laugh with somebody who's lost. Maybe you want to make sure it's appropriate at the time, but you know, right? The Bible tells us, laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Some of you might have to, like me, just learn what it means to be sad sometimes, like admit it. Trying to learn how to, like I'm mad or angry or sad with these people. Does it mean you're unholy, ungodly? You know who God is. Still, he's still there. I love, I left the rest of the verse in there because it says, get along with each other, don't be stuck up. Because <laughs> I think sometimes there's an element of that why we don't engage with someone, especially if it has to do with sin, because we might be mad about what they did. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. I like that. It's a good reminder. We need to learn to have empathy for one another. Jesus did that. John eleven thirty five. Memorize that verse right now. Before you go today, you all have to come up here and quote it to me. We brought it up many times. Renee did as well. Here's Jesus 
in the midst of he's going to do a great miracle. He loves these people. He enters into their lives. He stops. He pauses before he does anything else. And it just says he wept. Jesus empathizes with you. He cries when his people that he loves and died for are hurting. It hurts him because he loves you. Maybe we need to learn to do that better. So empathize with people. How do we offer help? We need to learn to be present. It's one of the hardest things for us to do today. Because of, you know, technology and things can really create issues when we just need to be present with one another. Jewish tradition was Shiva. You would sit Shiva with people. It means seven because they would sit. There's a lot behind it, but they would sit with the mourner for seven days. You weren't required to talk. You didn't have to do anything. You could bring a casserole. That was good. We know it's even happened way back in the Old Testament. Job's friends did it. We'll talk about, somebody asked me, hey, why not, since we're in Lamentations, why not, if you know this book of the Bible and you're here, you, you might question this, but they said, let's just do Job after Easter. I'm like, we are not doing Job after Easter, man. Okay, next year. Job's friends, after Job has lost everything, Come and sit, says the Bible, says in the beginning there, for seven days with him, silent, until they couldn't stand it anymore. And they then proceeded for chapters to try to fix him. If you know the story, until God showed up and said, let me remind you of who I am, where I am. And in the end, Job was the only righteous one left sitting there. It's an amazing story. They practiced this. We need to learn how to do that and be present without trying to fix it. A lot of us need to learn to listen, to discern the individual, the situation, to other people that are present. Sometimes, I'm learning this too, when you enter into a home where someone is passing or sick or hurting, there's a lot of times when if you're observant to what's going on, you're not just there for the individual that's suffering, but you're there for the community that is suffering. We can forget about that sometimes. Loss doesn't just impact the one who's losing. It impacts lots of people. So we need to learn to discern that better and lament with them. Jesus did this with his disciples. Again, I point back to Christ. Our Savior experienced all these things. In Matthew chapter 26, before he dies on the cross, he takes Peter, James, and John, and it says, Jesus, he became anguished and distressed. He's gonna die. And he tells them as they go into the garden, He says to pray, he says to them, my soul, does this describe any of you today? This is coming from the mouth of Jesus, our Savior. He says, my soul is crushed. Not my arm hurts. Not my heart is broken. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And then he asks him, our Savior, man, he experiences this with you. He says, stay here. He says, be with me. You don't have to fix it. You know, we even know Peter tries to fix it. He grabs a sword and cuts off an ear, but Jesus has to fix that now. Stay here and keep watch with me. Just, I, I love it because it's our Savior saying, be, just be with me. There's a lot coming down the pike here, man. 
There's a lot that's going to happen. Be with me. And then the last thing I want to tell you today before we have communion and the worship team can come so we can wrap up. But we need to lead them to God. As followers of Christ, we follow a faithful God. We need to lead people to him. We need to pray with them, not just for them. Many of us need to learn. I'm still, I don't know, I think I'm 50-50 right now. When you go, I need prayer, Ron, to stop, let's pray right now. It doesn't always work that way because of circumstances, but a lot of times I can't just throw out the cliche, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then go about my business. But some of us need to stop at that moment and pray with them, not just for them, it's both. As I said earlier, we are reorienting people back to God. Some of them so disoriented that they're lost or they feel lost at that moment. And so one of the things as followers of Christ in all these things that we're trying to do and we need to practice, and we are gonna have to practice at it, is we're reorienting people back to him. Back, Renee even said it, through the darkness. <clears throat> if you were here last week, I recommended this book. I'll even, you know, get more of them to give out, but it's called A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. It's fantastic. If you know anybody that's going through any type of loss, especially the loss of a loved one, this is a fantastic book, A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. In it, someone told him after his wife, mother, and little girl were all killed in the car accident that they were in, he said that someone told him the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. For many of us, to walk through this with people means that we gotta do some of the hardest stuff. This is hard for me. So instead of just chasing something, I enter in and then suddenly... Some of you have experienced that. Suddenly you realize I'm in the light. But I had to go through the darkness. Renee said it. I'm going through this. We help them imagine another reality, maybe a new normal, God's redemptive work in this life, and we got to remind them and reorient them in the life to come. As followers of Christ, we believe in the here and now, and we believe in eternity with Jesus. You can't leave one out. We must experience the here and now, but we will spend eternity with him. So as we, we prepare to take communion, if you'd stand with me. I think we need to practice this as a community. Maybe today there's someone that you need to, to empathize with or reorient to God or whatever. In the end of Lamentations 4, we read in this broken world that, that the, the people had looked to some other king for help. Well, says we had thought that his shadow would protect us against any nation on earth. And they discovered that any king apart from King Jesus proved fruitless. Did not help them. We have King Jesus for us, who in Hebrews 4 it says, since we have a great high priest, the king who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. So each one of you in here, each one of us, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God.
There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So you go and get communion at this table today and remember those words. It's where you find healing and help and rest and grace and forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us, still does for us today. Praise him. Amen.